0: Hi everyone, this is Graham Cowan, and welcome to the Caring CEO Podcast. We create this podcast because we believe that every leader's number one priority is to build a more caring and resilient team who enjoys growing together. It is my job to interview CEOs and other senior leaders who value building both a culture of care and a culture of high performance. I'm very keen to understand how they do this, and I'm sure there'll be lots of insights and tips for anyone who wants to build a high performing team. Our guest today is Nikki Beaumont, who is the founder and CEO of Beaumont People, which has been operating now for 21 years. Prior to this business starting, Nikki took on the role as GM of recruitment for the Sydney Olympics. You can imagine how uh, frantic that would be. Key to Nikki's success has been an unwavering belief in people first. She's a real innovator, and some of the things she has championed include, 2009, at the peak of the global financial crisis, Nikki founded a not-for-profit division, which has become very successful. Nikki also introduced gender-neutral pay parental leave scheme in 2019. In 2020, Beaumont People, were one of the first companies in Australia to launch a four day work week on five days pay. And she talks a lot about that, about the things they had to modify when introducing that. In 2021, Beaumont were nominated as the second best place to work for organizations under 100 people. Another area that Nikki and her team have champion is a meaningful work profile to understand what drives us each about work and the key finding is that it's different for each person. If you care about building a successful and meaningful company that champions a culture of care and high performance, you'll get a lot out of this discussion. Enjoy. It's my pleasure to welcome Nikki Beaumont to the Caring CEO podcast. Welcome, Nikki. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> It's nice to see you. I think we last caught up at the Q station at the uh, Serenity Conference, which was a. We won't even talk about that a bit later. But, uh, Nikki, what does care in the workplace mean to you?
1: Thanks, Graham. Um Care in the workplace for me is really about it, it's placing people first, which is our tagline, um, which is what we work towards as a business. So, when I think of care in the workplace, I immediately go to the people, and. Um, I immediately go to how we provide the best environment for the people in our organization um, from all types of perspective, you know from a mental health perspective, from a supportive environment, from giving them the right tools and training from um, making sure that they're heard. you know I think you know things like that are some of the most vital things that are often overlooked is the time that you take to to talk to you, your people in your team in your organization and really hear
0: mm-hmm. you know
1: really listen to them and really hear what they have to say you know whether that be you know what they're loving about the role what they're struggling with in the role what they're loving about the team the organization what ideas they have you know and i think about care in the workplace those are some of the most important important things to me but just caring about people generally really you know um you know i we're in the service industry so it's around people but you know i kind of think of any workplace doesn't matter what what it is whether you're selling widgets or or selling recruitment services you know at the end of the day it goes back to your people it doesn't matter how fantastic your service or your product is you know at the end of the day it's your people that are the most important so you do you really need to care
0: I really love that uh, tagline, placing people first, because it's got a bit of a double meaning, hasn't it? So it means also that, you know, you you care and respect and treat each person as an individual, but then it also has a business meaning as well. We place them fast first. (laughs) So it's a a nice, how long did it take you to come up with that? Oh, 22 years. (laughs) Uh,
1: No, we we, we are sort of, we're celebrating 21 years this year, actually. And uh, I think To be fair, initially, the place of people first came as an internal thing. It was a way of describing who we are and what we do internally that we've been doing for years. And and we really only found that wording about probably about six or seven years, maybe a little bit longer than that. Um, And yes, it has lots of meanings. And although it was initially meant to describe us, and we were going through a branding process, it was meant to be, you know, who are we? What are we about? What makes us different? What makes us special? Um, And placing people first in terms of the way we work as a business came out of that. In fact, it started as um, people before profit, Mm. but the profit thing never really sat well. You know, Mm -hmm. we didn't really want that in there. It didn't seem right. And even though that's what we do, um, the placing people first, you know, very quickly came out of that. But of course, I didn't actually ever think of it as you've just said then, as a recruitment business, we can get people there quickly and fast. And yes, we can, not necessarily in this market. It's a bit of a tougher market to get people, um, great people as quickly as, as maybe it sometimes is. But um, it, it does mean that. But it, it, it to me, it also means placing people first in helping you find your next role um, and putting you first in that or helping an organization find the best people you know, putting that whole the people first is the most important thing. So it does mean all of those things, which is great.
0: Absolutely. And uh,
1: it does suit us enormously.
0: <laughs> I saw early in your career you were the general manager of the Sydney Olympics Recruitment Centre. So I know it's going back a bit, it's going back to 22 years, but that must have been an amazing experience. Were you just recruiting uh, volunteer people or permanent people or, or, or full range? What? what what, were yeah. the, what was the focus of that role?
1: Thank you. Can I just point out I was a teenager at the time, clearly. It was <laughs> much two years ago. Uh, so about when I was a teenager. Um, now, I actually came to Australia to be part of the Olympic Games project. So I was with ADECO at the time in the UK, and when ADECO um, won the sponsorship of the Olympic Games I was like okay I really want to go and be part of that I have Australia in my family anyway um, and had been to Australia previously so I was like I really want to be part of that ready for a challenge and um, to be fair Australia didn't really need any extra poms coming over to help on the Olympic Games There were plenty of people who are really keen to be involved but anyway I managed to get my way over here and uh, on the promise that I would go back, and of course I did break that promise, um, <laughs> but I um, I didn't come out to be the general manager of the Olympic Games. I was given that role, and I do say I was given that role. I didn't apply for it because, um, true imposter syndrome, I I didn't think I was good enough to actually take on that role. Um, it was the um, it was actually recruiting all the paid staff that made the Olympics game happen in a recruitment agency model. So. Mm. Um, The the Olympic Games organization used the ADECO and the Olympic Recruitment Center of ADECO, um, which was what I was the general manager of, to recruit hundreds and thousands of paid staff that together made the Olympic Games happen. If you think the Olympics is run by almost like a corporate entity, You know, you have to have pretty much everything you have in any corporate organisation that sits behind the Olympics, never mind all of the people in all of the different venues and sports that make it happen. It's a massive thing to put it together. Mm -hmm. And I got to lead that.
0: Yeah, that must have been extraordinary. Um, You know, I guess very very cyclical too. You know, there's some of the longer-term people, but then I'm sure there was a whole lot that needed to be recruited close to the actual event
1: yes there was yeah the, the the i only took the role on at the beginning of 2000 and i think the event was september of 2000 so i was in that period the the recruitment centre had been working for years before that and i kind of i only arrived in australia on february the 15th <laughs> and um, so i took it from then but yeah the last few months let's say were pretty crazy in terms of the volume of what was required um uh, for the Olympic Games to happen at that time, the logistics was ridiculous. <laughs> um, looking back now, you know it's no wonder I started my own business after that because it was like, well, if I can do that, <laughs> I can actually do anything.
0: <laughs> what were uh, some of the main lessons you took away from that experience? You know, as you said, you were quite young and taking on this huge responsibility. What what did you take away?
1: Yeah. And look, I will be honest, I wasn't actually as young as I try and make out. I was in my mid-30s. So I'd got a little bit of life experience behind me to be given that role in the first place, I guess. But I think, you know, there's there's a few things that I, I've taken from that that I've continued and still do today. And look, one of the you know things is absolutely your people are your priority. And that's always been a theme of myself in leadership roles anyway. But during those Crazy months and weeks where we were working seven days a week, let's be honest. Mm. You know, um, the way that the team were supported and felt the fair word to say loved, mm. really, mm. Um, was what actually kept them going. They felt loved, respected, listened to, cared for. You know, we did fun things together. We were often there late at night, you know wine was a was a part of it you know if you're still there at seven o'clock at night there might be a bottle of wine that you can have a glass <laughs> or a beer or something like that and we did this great thing on a Friday afternoon uh, which we called at the time top totty and um, and we still do this in Beaumont today we don't call it top totty anymore it was there for the right reason but it was literally our sort of Friday afternoon wrap-up um of um recognizing the great stuff that we were all doing individually. And it was a people would nominate a colleague, and there was about 45 of us towards Mm. the end, who would nominate a colleague of the great things that that colleague had done that week. We do it monthly now in Beaumont, and still, you know, 21 years on. But it was just a really nice way to recognize what everybody was doing and to come from your colleague, not from your manager. Mm. And, you know, I think what I've learned over the years, I didn't necessarily see it or think about it at the time was that really has formed our culture and our way of working you know when you sit there as a newcomer and go so these people are talking about their colleagues and these are the things that they value Mm. well that's the things that is valued to be successful and to be a good person in this organization so it really has helped really support our culture moving forward. We connect it very much with our values now. I don't think we even had values in the Olympic role at the time. But that's one of the things that still do to this day, once a month. And it uh, goes, goes back to that time that <laughs> held us together through some stressful times.
0: It, it is a wonderful thing to do, isn't it? Because it's, uh, it, it's reflecting on the week on a, on a Friday afternoon. And um, as you say, you know, celebrating colleagues and having colleagues nominate colleagues, I think that just is a wonderful thing for building, you know, a spirit and purpose with something which was like that. It's uh, yeah, a wonderful, wonderful idea. I saw that Beaumont uh, People in 2021 won the second best place to work in for organizations under 100 people. Congratulations on an amazing achievement. And how did you go about doing that? You know, how long had you been part of that accreditation process and what you th- what did you think contributed to coming second?
1: Yeah, thanks, um, Graham. We, uh, we're really very proud of that, actually. And it maintains a goal of ours to continue to um, be nominated or nominate ourselves for those ones and to keep up there as a great place to work. And um, we started it, I think it would be three years previously. And uh, look, to give you some context, I had always read. You know, who were the winners each year and aspired to be one, you know, the Cisco's and the Microsoft's and the Canva's and all of those people, you know, and, um, you know, aspired to be a great place to work and was always like, well, if they're great places to work as a recruitment business, they must look after their people really well. And those are the kind of businesses that we want to be working with, you know, so we clearly looked at it from that perspective, but never, ever um, thought that we were a contender for for one of those. And when I when I asked the team three four years ago, I'd probably been asking for a number of years. Like, come you know, come, can we put ourselves forward for one of this? You know, I really like that. Um, I think everybody was like, no 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 no. Um, and I said, you know what? Let's just do it because you know, surely we we're going to learn from the process. You know, we're going to learn what we don't actually know. You don't know what you don't know, do you? So we're going to learn through the process. So let's try. You know, we probably won't even get in the top 50. I know it costs quite a lot of money to actually go through the process and a lot of time and energy, which it does. Um, but we did. We went through it. And um, I remember they, uh, they did a huge in-person awards evening with hundreds and hundreds of people there. And I took the whole management team. We had a whole table. You know, it was quite an investment to just even go to it, not even expecting that we would be in the top 20. And then, of course, they, they announced the top 20 and, Uh, And 19 and 18 and 17 and 16. And and that first year we became ninth. we were on cloud nine. I mean, that was for us. Couldn't even believe that we were in ninth, which was fabulous. The following year, we we went well. Let's see if we can get above ninth, and we got fourth. And then, uh, of course, last year, we came second. So we still haven't come first, though, Graham. But look, what what attributed to it? I think certainly to get to second, launching the four day week was one of them. Mm. Um, the gender neutral parental leave scheme that we launched the previous year, I think that certainly helps. Um, but they actually survey all of the people within your business so there's a huge survey that goes out with a whole heap of questions and um, you don't get to see who answers what you know it's all confidential you get to see an overall report but um, so half of it is around what your people say about you so that needs to be right and it needs to be good to get up to the second to top two Um, the other thing is is you actually do have to complete a report and it asks you questions about the way that you do things, and your policies, and your your vision, and your values, and all those things. So, uh, so yeah, so that's uh, that's our journey to second best place to work in Australia. So we did actually get joint first place with Commonwealth Bank for workplace flexibility, etc. And I think again, that was the uh, the four day week that um, was part of of us getting um, you know the accolade, yeah. and and many other things that we do.
0: The four-day work work week is, uh, you know, an intriguing concept, and you're actually making it real. Uh, Where did you first hear about it, and um, why did you decide to put it into action?
1: Hmm. Um, It is. I first heard about it at the Thriving Workplace Conference would be three years ago, something like that now, probably the last one before COVID um maybe the one before that so I first heard about it and Andrew Barnes um who is well known for the four day week from Perpetual um was the speaker and um he I knew that he was speaking and i would already read a bit about him and um when he spoke I was just like and told us about his idea and how it came about and how it was working they were still in the trial then I was just like oh my gosh, this is for me. I just absolutely love this. I was so excited. I had a few of my team there and they were like, oh my gosh, Nick is really excited. Are we going to get this? You know, themselves were <laughs> like, so really excited. Um, but look, it took us a while to implement it because much, because in theory, it sounds like a great idea, is um, paying people five days, working four days. Uh, how do you make that happen? You know, how... How is that possible? How can that be? Particularly in a busy recruitment business like ours, where obviously we have clients and candidates that need us and we're all working full-pelt long hours. So how do you go from that to four days and how is that going to impact us? So, you know, it took us a while to to, um, actually launch it for a number of reasons. And um, anyway, but we did, and that was over two years ago now, and here we are.
0: Yeah, Wonderful, and and you made the decision to pay people five days and only work only work four. In I worked for uh, about fifteen years in the recruitment industry, so I have a bit of an idea about um, about that environment. And it's a very very measurable environment, isn't it? You know, you know, at the end of each week, how much revenue you've uh, you've brought in uh, that you're responsible for. And uh, I I also know that in um, a number of recruitment agencies, there's a lower base and then there's a you know a performance bonus, which is often geared to the results, the revenue you get. So, you know, what is the largest component for most people who work at Beaumont? Is it, is it the performance bonus or the, the base salary?
1: It, to be honest, it, it varies and has changed over the years mm. um, and it, it varies from one person to another. But, yeah, there is an element for the recruitment consultants of bonus and base. Um, That's only one of the things that they're measured on, only one of the small things. And in terms of the four-day week, I think one of the things that helped us to implement it was is that when we looked at a cross-section of our recruitment consultants, we've got some people in part-time roles working three days a week, four days a week, who are doing just as well as other people in in full-time roles. So, therefore, if you've actually got that happening in your business, and we did – um, surely it's possible to be able to do what you do in the four-day week. But going back to one of my drivers, one of my drivers for really wanting to implement this was, one, well, after having our daughter Maddie, I came back to work part-time. And certainly the value of being part-time as a parent, mm. I absolutely understood once I had my own child. Mm. Um I have lots of other keen interests outside of work besides being a parent. And that's one of them, as you can see in my background, perhaps. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Some cows and a a, a property that takes lots of time and energy. So again, a four-day week, I can see the value in that. But I think more importantly, you know, one of the reasons that I really wanted to implement the four-day week was was really for choice and flexibility and seeing people um, in the business who um you know what we're just working so hard and doing so well, but mm. we're at risk of burnout, mm. so you know from the mental health perspective you know from the from the family perspective from the from the choice perspective from the overall flexibility was why we did it and it's evolved over the two years great it really has it's evolved for the better it's great, it really is I'm not saying it's always. Everything works all the time. It doesn't. There are various challenges with it. But, you know, you just have to work around like you do with any challenges. I'm a bit of a, you know, give me a challenge and I'll be like, I'll be over it, through it, round it, under it. <laughs> you know, that's my natural style. You know, there's challenges that come around in everything that we do all the time. Yeah. Um, you know, in the four-day week, um, it's just one of them.
0: And uh, when you launched it, was what was the response from the Beaumont team?
1: Mixed mixed surprisingly Um, most people were like wow this sounds great Um, most people went but how's it going to work lots of people went this is really scary Um, some people went this is never going to work as as is the way you know you do if you've got a diverse workforce you're going to get all of those responses and that's absolutely fine and you need those responses because you need, you know, if you've got people like me who go, "That's a great idea. Let's do it. We can start tomorrow." Um, that you know, <laughs> you actually need those people who go, "Now, hang on. Have you thought about this? And have you thought about that? And what about this? And what if this happens? And what if this happens?" So, you know, luckily we do have a very diverse workforce that does think in all of those, um, in, in all of those ways. So the response was generally, "Isn't this a fabulous thing to do?" And I remember. We, we announced that we were going to do it as a surprise at our annual company conference. And all I did was play the, um, the, the, the video, the uh, TED Talk that Andrew had done, which is like a 10-minute TED Talk on what he'd done and why he'd done it. All we did was just quietly play that to you know, 35 people uh, in, in the room. And people actually started crying. People actually had tears down their eyes going, oh, my gosh, you're going to do this for us. And other people were like, oh, my gosh, this is not- <laughs> You know, you can imagine. But, but generally the response from everybody has been, well, it might be scary and we don't know how, but if we can make it work, how fabulous would it be? And
0: yeah. And, and what happened to, you know, the, the organization's performance in terms of revenue and, and profit? What changed?
1: Well, we did launch just pre-COVID, um, so that was an interesting time to launch it. And and actually, when COVID first hit us, and we all we all were sent home with our new laptops and and Zoom, uh, which we'd not really been using much before then, you know, when that happened. And um, of course, in the recruitment business, all the companies that are normally hiring from us went, oh, we better stop hiring until this passes. And <laughs> um, what are we going to do with temps? We can. We can give laptops to our people, but we can't have temps, surely at home. So, well, let's just stop that for a little while. So, there was there was a few months where, um, I'll be honest, the, the revenue went down dramatically, but that actually wasn't to do with the four-day week. And we did actually put the four-day week on hold, because the four-day week, one of the ways that we measure it and work it within the organisation is productivity. And of course, our productivity measures pre-COVID were changed quite considerably. <laughs> But, you know, two years on, um, and it is something that we measure closely, two years on I'm really pleased to say that um, the impact of the four-day week has only been positive, that um, our our productivity measures are that we are just as productive, if not more in many cases, than we were pre-four-day week. Mm. Um, And we've had the best six, 12 months. Now, we've had the best 12 months that we've had ever, in in the history of Beaumont, and we're 21 years old. So we've had the best 12 months ever. We still, on a monthly basis, are hitting many Beaumont Guinness Book of Records best ever. We measure them and we celebrate them. We quite like celebrating. Any excuse for a party. (laughs) And um, so, yeah, I would say we're more profitable than ever in this last year. You know, we've really um, hit some massive milestones, which is great.
0: You mentioned that you've refined it over the two years since it launched. What do you mean by that? What did you change? What have you evolved?
1: Um, I think the, the way that we implemented it initially was that, um, and I learned this from Andrew um, from the early days, because once I heard about it, I was like picking his brains. Well, what about this? And what about that with all the questions I had? And one of the things I learned early on was don't try and work it out from a leadership manager executive perspective and tell the team how to do it go to them and say love to do this but don't know how you tell us you know at the end of the day you're the ones who are going to make this work you tell us how it's going to work for you and what you can see that's going to work not work etc and that's exactly what we did mm-hmm. and um you know, that that was the best advice by far. You know, so the team's got a chance to work together and go, well, how can we make it work? You know, we, mm. he says, if, if, if we're going to make this work, you need to be the ones who actually make it work. All I can do is give you the decision that I'd like to. And mm. so one of the things that they... Wanted to do at the time was a month in advance, set the days that people have off. We don't have a set day, it was all you know, mixed days. Set the days that people had off, you know, okay, I'll take Monday, you take Tuesday, I'll take Wednesday, you take Thursday, and you know, really great reasons for that. But I think over time, now we've we try to generally just make sure that there's not a lot of crossover within the teams. But they don't, they don't necessarily set it that way. They work their own way within the teams. And and some people actually don't take a four-day week at all. Some people go, you know what? Actually, it suits me better if I drop my kids at school and I pick my kids at school because I'm working from home anyway. I don't want a whole day off. I just want an hour or two here and there. But mm. I can do kids stuff mm. every day rather than just one day. So, you know, we've really evolved in the flexibility. When, when we first launched it, I think we were so trying to think of all the things that could go wrong to make it work. There was a lot of rules and rigidity around around it. That was our comfort zone um, to make it work. Whereas now, um, and I think COVID has taught us a lot about this, you know, when we all went home with our laptops and nobody knew what anyone was doing behind their laptops at home, you know, (laughs) once they came off the Zoom call, it certainly has taught us a lot about trust. Um, You know, it, it really has. So, yeah. Yeah, that's one of the things that we've changed. But um, what else? At the beginning, we measured it a lot. We measured it, you know, you kind of hit your productivity measures for the month Mm -hmm. and then you get the four-day week for the following month. If your productivity measures drop, then you kind of don't get your four-day week until you get back up, you know, obviously, which is great. We do continue with that. Do we measure it as closely as we did in the beginning? No, we
0: don't. Yeah, yeah. What do you count as uh, productivity measures for, for the team?
1: One of the things we were mindful of, and you know, sort of going to your comment earlier about the way that it works with revenue and bonus and things like that, one of the things we were very conscious of is that productivity is not necessarily just about the revenue, it's one element of what we do. Is it the most important element? No, actually, it's not. Mm. Um, but what's the most important thing for us is client and candidate satisfaction is actually placing people in work. That's the, the the revenue. Absolutely, you know, we've got to pay the bills. Mm. You know, we, we're here to make a profit. We don't want to be doing this at a loss. Absolutely not. But what are we actually here for? We're not here to make revenue. That yeah. is not what we're here for. We're actually here to place great people, great jobs, etc., and all that goes along with that. So, so our, our our measures are more around that. Our measures are on customer satisfaction because I think the biggest concerns. Um, for us was well, how is this going to impact our clients and our candidates? You know, because mm-hmm. we're available five days a week for the most part. What's what? How is it going to work if we're not? Mm-hmm. How's that going to work? So, you know, those were the productivity measures for the recruitment consultants. But they're different for everybody in every role. You know, marketing have got their own set of individual productivity measures, as as the ops team, as has the finance team. Um, but every single one of them as a business we're very, very um, mindful about what our um, feedback, uh, the quality of our feedback and the the satisfaction of our clients and our candidates.
0: If you believe like we do that a leader's number one priority is to build a more caring and resilient team who enjoys growing together, you may be interested in these three free resources we've provided at our website, factorc.com.au. The first one is the We Care Credo poster, and this contains the mindset and values of teams that prize self-care, crew care, and red zone care. The second resource is a poster called, how to support a teammate in distress. And this provides easy to follow instructions on how to identify someone who's struggling, how to have the OK conversation with empathy, and how to guide them to the help that they need. And the third resource is a building a mentally healthy culture checklist And this provides items to think about before you launch an initiative, how you do a great launch, and then thirdly, how to keep the momentum going following the launch. These three free resources can be found at factorc.com.au. You also uh, were very innovative in in exploring the meaning of work, meaningful work. And um, would you mind just giving people a little background about why that was so important to you and then how you went about understanding how work was meaningful.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, I mean this goes back to, you know, going back a few years, we were, we were just digging deep into who we are, why we do what we do, how we describe ourselves, you know, how we articulate ourselves, you know, all around the placing people first, etc. And and we were we were sort of realigning ourselves to our vision and our values. And it was through that process, and we were working with a wonderful lady called um, Carolyn Butler Madden. We've been doing lots of great things in terms of social impact, working with the charity sector, et cetera. And um, I, um, similar to how even the charity sector came about for us, but I have this feeling of we're doing great work, yes. We do lots of fabulous work. Mm. but I know that we can do more. There's more that we can be doing mm. in what we do with our expertise, Where there's more of a difference we can be making. And I don't know how it looks and mm. I don't know what it is. Mm. And I really want us to work towards that. Mm. Um, and so as we were talking through that process and we were reevaluating our why, that's where meaningful work came up. That's where, you know, what we're, we're not about just placing people in jobs. Mm. We're actually about... Placing people in jobs that actually are, are right and really meaningful for them. Yeah. And an understanding that everybody's different in what meaningful work is. Mm. And so, so through those conversations about really what we're about, mm. um, we we were looking for how, well, how do we measure that? How do we measure what's meaningful for people? So if we're really to really support candidates in finding them meaningful work but what's meaningful for them because what's meaningful for me and what's meaningful for me is people in my business being successful enjoying what they do making an impact that's meaningful work for me that's not necessarily meaningful work for some of the people in my business what's meaningful work for them is um the support that they give to the clients that they're working with in the charity sector that allows them to do the great work that they do or you know it might be bringing home a decent wage that allows me to feed my family and eventually buy a house and have the security. It can be all in any of those things. Obviously, it's really broad. So there was no, we couldn't find a way that we could measure it. So, um, so we soon realised that well, if nobody else has got a way of measuring, well, we better go out there and find a way of measuring it. So we did. So we set up, <laughs> we set some, um, uh, I can't remember the word for it now, but we. Um, spent a lot of investment and time and energy with some professors in the field to go away, do all the research, and actually design a survey for us, Mm. um, which I think we have recently had trademarked. Um, Mm. So we actually have that survey available on our website and we decided it needed to be free. We needed it to be available for anybody and everybody to do at any time and and just... um, Find an understanding of what is really meaningful for you individually as a person to help you, as you're you know in your career. Yeah.
0: So for all our listeners out there, you might like to visit the website and and do the the profile. It sounds incredibly interesting to me, and and I'm sure others out there as well. I, um, as I mentioned before, had a background in recruitment. I also did outplacement career coaching uh, for over about a 15 year period, and I always always knew that that work was incredibly important to our well-being and it's interesting that the the Gallup group wrote a book called well-being and they identified five different areas of well-being so there was our physical well-being our social well-being our financial well-being our community well-being and our and and, and career and career there's five there and the thing that um I find quite amazing because it's quite quite counterintuitive is that they identify career well-being as the most important element, and if you think about it, it does make sense somewhat because you know it's where we spend most of our time, you know, doing uh, with other people, with our clients, all that side of things, and if that's not great, it, it's very easy for that to flow over to the other part of um, our our well-being. So uh, I really applaud. You know your work in in helping people to identify that because uh, it's something that is uh, you know really close to my heart. But having a sense of purpose, knowing what your strengths are and how you can deliver those uh, strengths, uh, knowing about the the benefit that you can provide other people, I think is just critical. And one of the things I've one of the terms I've always hated for this reason is the concept of work life balance, because it it, it implies that life is good, work is bad. And, um, you know, for some people, work is a very, very important part of their wellbeing. It can't be the only thing, of course. But uh, yeah, I I, I know I'm going to go and do that that profile. I'm really intrigued by it. So well done for putting it together.
1: Thanks. And we've actually also recently, in fact, we're still in some beta testing of um, a corporate version of it Mm. so that we can also because it's okay working with the candidates on helping them articulate what it is that really is important to them you know in their career Mm. but we also need the organizations on side too we need them to understand whether one they're able to provide meaningful work for the people in their organization and if they're not where's the gap so we're just in beta testing of that and, and there's information on our we've got have a website called meaningfulwork.com. and um, so we, we we've evolved that as well so significant investment over the last 3 years on that one. But that's actually still only the starting point, right? So I can't tell you too much at the moment but this um this crazy entrepreneurial ideas brain of mine has lots more other exciting stuff in the wings that uh, is evolving and and in progress as hasn't actually it's the media at this moment in time, but there's lots of other exciting things that we're doing in the pursuit of um, more opportunities for meaningful work for more people in Australia.
0: Yeah. Stay tuned, eh? And uh, <laughs> it's uh, great to hear that, uh, you know, you're going deep into that area, which I think is uh, is really sensational. You've also, um, you know, I read have done some, interesting holidays that you've, uh, you know, trekked to the base camp of Mount Everest and been on a husky sleigh in Finland heading to the Russian border. How important is that to your life and how hard has it been for the last two and a half years not being able to leave Australia? Uh,
1: Yeah, look, I'm a born adventurer, so I love anything like that. still do absolutely still do um another one that it was i took a year off to go around australia a few years ago now as a family which is wonderful uh, I of course moved to the wonderful northern rivers here uh six years ago left sydney moved into the byron in hinterland and bought 120 acres <laughs> and some cows <laughs> um, so you know i um I'm, a, I'm an average traveler and yeah i've not been able to go abroad for the last couple of years um you know, there's a few big trips planned that had to be cancelled but made the most of it in australia i can tell you and <laughs> um, you know i've been all sorts there's not covid's not held me back you know if there's an opportunity opened up i've been there you know mm. and even even uh, when we were in the thick of lockdowns um uh, our, our adventurous spirit as a family, and we do live on 120 acres. We couldn't go away because of lockdown. So what we did was down the one of the back paddocks. We we took the tents down and we set up camp down the back paddocks, and we did that for so many weekends through That's lockdown ridiculous. and COVID. And we, we went camping on our own. <laughs> property. Um, and so that you know, we, we, we had that um, opportunity, but I, you know, I'm a big believer in you have to take yourself away from the cold face from work. Um, You need to get out in nature. You need to have regular breaks and um, you know, it's, it's how you recuperate. It's how you breathe. It allows you to think it allows you to really evaluate what you're doing, where you're at, how you're doing and and rest and, you know, all of those things. So it's vitally important for me and, and I'm uh, highly encouraging of anybody else to just make sure that you've got plenty plenty of nature in your life.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm also a very big fan of nature and I've done some lovely, lovely walks. You know, I've done the Kakoda Track and the Nakasendo Way in uh, Japan and uh, the Camino in um, Portuguese Camino and the Kepler Track in New Zealand and the Overland Track in Tasmania. And it's it, it just is really, really lovely, isn't it, to leave our normal environment and to go to different places. And often those places are not just really beautiful, they also often have people from a different culture that live differently. And uh, it's nice to be able to learn from them. When I think about, you know, my kids that are a bit older now, um, but both of them have done a lot of travelling and often in third world countries. And I think that's just as important as our formal education, you know, just in terms of being relate to what happens in the world, how it's all how it's you know what's different, but also what's the same because there's a lot the same as well. Um, mm. It's uh, yeah. we're, we're very lucky as Australians to be able to afford, to afford to do that and um, and then also come back to a, a pretty good place as well. You know <laughs> when you when you fly back into Sydney after being away, you think, holy mackerel, this looks good. You know, it looks really really fantastic. Yeah, yeah <laughs> we're, we're very
1: lucky. I. Um... And I, I have a quote that um, actually somebody who worked for me fifteen years ago said, Do you still have that quote, Nikki? I still think of whenever I hear that quote, I think of you. It's always been on my computer and it's do one thing a day that scares you. I and love I that. absolutely love that quote. And I, and I think that's what that's what took me to, you know, mm. Everest Base Camp. That's what took me to, you know, take a team of Huskies in minus 30 degrees at the time. Um I do I do come from a place of um, anything's possible, we can do whatever. So when when I decided I wanted to take my family back to Nepal, I'd been to Nepal, they hadn't, our daughter was five at the time, four, four, five. Mm. Um, and I wanted to do high altitude, very remote trekking um, mm. in the foothills of Everest. Mm. And uh, people would say, you can't do that. You cannot take a four-year-old for a month to Nepal with those conditions, trekking high altitude. I was like, yes, you can. And I did, you know, um, and even taking a, oh, I think she would have been 11, 12 at the time, going back to do the Huskies and taking the family back to do that up there in the Arctic Circle in the freezing cold. Our daughter took her own team of Huskies yeah. for a week yeah. on a massive adventure. People would say you can't do that. I love it when people say you can't do something. People <laughs> can say, we could do. Um, you know, you can, you know, you can't, you can't take, if you're a business owner, you can't take a year out. Mm. And go
0: around Australia. Yes, you can. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great, uh, it's a great outlook. It really is. I, uh, I really love that. Where have you learnt most about leadership? Is, is there been certain people or certain books or certain TED talks? Mm. Where, what have you? Where have you learnt your key lessons?
1: Well, I have to be honest. Um, I actually haven't read that many books, and I haven't listened to that many TED talks. I have listened to a few podcasts now, so I highly recommend the podcasts. Sure. It depends how fast you move. You know, if you move as fast as I do, sometimes I don't actually sit down still long enough to read that many books. I have a lot of books. Do so I read them? Um, I think. Well, my leadership journey has been a long journey. I have been in a leadership role for. Oh, gosh, we're getting on for 30 years now. Um, where have my best lessons come from? You know what? Probably making mistakes, to be fair, Graham, really. I've made a lot of mistakes over the time, as you do, and I've learned from them. I don't beat myself up over them all the time sometimes. It really depends how big they are, how bad they are. But I have learned from a lot of mistakes, you know, from trial and error, from my own I think this is how is the right way to do things, and then sometimes it turns out great, fabulous. Sometimes it just doesn't, and it's like, okay, rethink that. What happened there? Um, so there's, there has been a lot of that. Um, I have had some fantastic mentors. I really have had some fantastic mentors in my life. Starting, I mean, I think really starting when I think about my first best mentor was the director of Olympic operations at the time, diapass and um, Still, an absolutely wonderful friend and mentor today. Um, so the value of mentorship, yeah. Mm. Have I been on many leadership things? No. Mm. Um, I love a conference because I can absorb and listen to inspiring and interesting speakers. So I do learn a lot from conferences. I get a lot of inspiration from that, mm. uh, particularly if it's fast-paced and there's a lot to learn. If, if it's not fast-paced and good content, <laughs> I'm out of there. I'm bored, <laughs> you know. Um, so I think that's that's my way of learning. I love little blog snippets. I can read those. Mm. Three pages and I'm gone. But, you know, quick things is for me. I don't have mm. much attention span, really, yeah. unless I'm in a spreadsheet. Yeah. I do quite like spreadsheets. Um, But, yeah, I, I guess mine's involved. I've had some great mentors. And, and that's one of the reasons why we launched the mentoring program that we did in Beaumont, which would be probably about five or six years now, um, because of the value of giving leaders the support to be the best leader that they can possibly be. You know, when you connect that back to people in the workplace and meaningful work and Mm. create the right environment, if you think about all of that, Mm. the leaders are critical in this. So how can we support the leaders? And from the work that we've been doing in the charity sector, we kept hearing them going, you know, we don't have the funds to support and provide, you know, training for our leaders as much as we'd like to. Mm. We were providing lots of free training and we still do to charities and all types of organisations. But it was through that that the idea came for the mentoring program that is massively successful today. Mm-hmm. You know, now in the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, I think five years ago when we launched it, there was 22 wow. that went through the first program.
0: Yeah. Wow. And, and so you provide the the mentoring to those leaders, your clients, they're your clients, and you um, help mentor them to achieve goals. Is that how it works? How do you work with them?
1: Yeah, it's All clients, not just our clients. Mm. Um, um, So it's all types of leaders in all organisations. We actually connect um, mentees and we find mentors and we connect them together. We use a programme now called The Art of Mentoring, which helps us facilitate all of that and have the tools in the back. I have a team of three that work across it now. Mm. Um, it, It was free initially for the charity sector, but it has become so big that it actually needs a team wrapping around it to pull it together. but um, And we've developed it, you know, they, they get strengths profiling as part of being on our program. They get masterclasses. They get a whole suite of tools, mm-hmm. um, information and support available um, for people in their leadership journey. So I'm yeah. really very proud of it, actually. Yeah, so. It's one yeah. of those things that you know the four day weeks, great, proud of that. You know the gender neutral paid parental leave scheme, great, proud. But you know the the, the mentoring program, that's all that's making impact mm. all over the place. They don't have to be our clients. Yeah. Um, it's not expensive. We actually keep the cost as low as we possibly can for maximum impact. It's not about making money. It's not about return on investment for financially. Return on investment is impact in leadership capability mm. and meaningful work for those people who work under those leaders, yeah.
0: How do you, um, when someone that works for you lets you down or disappoints you, how do you approach that? I
1: think I would like to say with listening ears. Um, I think, you know, we have two ears and one mouth for a reason. Mm. <laughs> You know, there's two ears. Mm. Um, I think with listening ears and understanding and trying to find out why and how we got there and what happened and what our part is in that. Mm. Um, and it's hard sometimes. You know, it's hard not to blame, point the finger. Sometimes it really is. Mm. I'll be honest. You know, there are some times when you go, well, pff, it's all their fault. They were You know, anybody can do it. We can all do that. You know, in our own personal relationships, just the same. Um, but I think we're very mindful to seek understanding, to listen, and to look for ways to do things differently, and to look yeah. to learn, yeah, you know? um, and and to um, take responsibility, mm. you know, um, in every situation to to look for learning.
0: Yeah. Take, yeah, very good insight. You know, I guess understanding your role in it happening as well is uh, is a very important element, isn't it? Mm. It's been absolutely wonderful catching up today, Nikki. Just a couple more questions. Um, Firstly, if you could share a simple message to the world, what would it be?
1: Oh, place people
0: first. (laughs) 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 That's good. (laughs) Honestly, that that is the beauty of a great um, vision, isn't it? It, It's quite all-encompassing and it's, and it's not just about work, it's about life. I think the best personal missions do encompass both those things. It's not separate, it's, it's things. So uh, I think that makes a lot of sense, choosing that as uh, as your tagline, your personal tagline, as well as your corporate tagline. You put me on the
1: spot there, Graham. I was
0: like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> but that's great. You know, that that's great. Absolutely fantastic. Looking back now, um, knowing what you know now, and thinking about when you were just, you know, 20 years old, what advice would you give that 20-year-old yourself knowing what you know now?
1: Oh, gosh, where do I start? (laughs) (laughs) Not wanting to divulge too much about my 20s, about my wild 20s. Um, But, um, you know, I think I always had a hunger for learning, I mean, it, when when you look back now is that the importance and value of, of learning and listening, learning and listening. Um, what else would I say to my young peers? I'd definitely say you probably don't drink quite as much wine and beer as I do the next <laughs> days. It's really not going to take you very far. It's not that necessary. Um, I think... Live life to the full. You know, I'm an absolutely live life to the full. And anybody who knows me well knows I'm a live life to the full. In every aspect of work life, you know, I do go at 100 miles an hour. Um, but try and balance that with a little bit of downtime, which I'm still not very good at. Um, you know, I'm, I'm much better at going full speed. I'm not very good at slowing down. Hence, I don't read any books, hardly ever, you know. Even a great novel can take me six months to read. <laughs> I don't stop still long enough. Why would one stop still and sit down when one could be moving? <laughs> you know? uh, so, you know, absolutely live life to the full. Take every opportunity and every adventure, you know, that that's there. And um, I, I am a risk taker. Mm. Um, I think I've always been a risk taker. I don't know where that came from because my parents are not necessarily risk takers. I don't know where that came from. But I am a risk taker and that, I think does work quite well for me. Don't be afraid, you know. Give it a go. I, and people in in my business will go, "Oh, I don't know about that idea, Nikki. I don't know how it's going to work out." I will go, "Well, why don't we just give it a go and see what happens? If we don't like it, we can always stop." <laughs> you know. Um, so I think I think that's just me. So um, you know, don't. I don't analyze stuff too much as well, you know. Some people, I say, they want to spend months working through things before they make a decision. And I can think of a few people, my partner, he loves to analyze things. He's still trying to work out which bike he would buy. It would take him six months on choosing his bike. He really needs to think about it. I go into a shop and go, ooh, that one.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's been lovely catching up today, Nikki. Thanks for um, you know sharing so much about yourself and your philosophy, and also your business and uh, the way that you've brought purpose into your business. I think it's just just sensational. Thanks for being part of the Caring CEO.
1: Thank you so much for inviting me, Graeme. And uh, it's just great to connect with you again. It really is, and uh, yeah, I appreciate the opportunity. So, thank you.
0: Thanks for joining us today. I hope you've learned something new and heard some practical tips you can try with your team. If you enjoyed this interview today, please rate us on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. When you rate us, it helps other people to find us. We also welcome any comments. If you're interested in seeing details about our scalable WeCare Mental Health training programs, please visit us at factorc.com.au. Our goal for these programs is to make them accessible, practical, and ongoing. If you've been impressed by a CEO that you would like us to interview, please email details to support at factorc.com.au. Thanks for joining us.